The following conversation originally aired on The Point on KPOV 88.9 FM High Desert Community Radio in Bend, Oregon. Airing weekdays at 9 a.m., The Point is a half-hour, locally produced show focusing on people and events in Central Oregon. Our guests this morning are Loretta Chapman and Chris Morin, owners of Raven Makes Gallery. So stay with us. It's going to be a very interesting and compelling show. Good morning, Lorita and Chris, and welcome to the Wednesday Point. Thank you for having us on. So can you start by giving us like each a bit of a background about yourself and how you started Raven Makes Gallery? I'll start with that. Thanks for having us. We appreciate that. Uh, after we stopped teaching on the Navajo Nation in 2016, we knew we wanted to continue being involved in communities and being able to bring out art and our appreciation for what that represented within those communities. So we decided we would pursue an art gallery. So we did a lot of research, did a lot of travels to other communities, and chose Sisters Oregon. And it's been six years now, and it's been wonderful. That's amazing. So, Chris, I saw that you have taught in Arizona and at the Navajo Nation and also in Alaska. So is this how you got connected to the artists that you feature in your gallery? Uh, It was kind of a continuation from our earlier life because we grew we most of our growing up was done in Alaska so, and we became pretty involved with uh, Alaska native communities up there the Alaska native people and then when we went into teaching of course now we have them as our students we're working with them so it the things that we've done throughout our our adult lives and our careers has just deepened that which really started when we were younger oh wow and how many artists do you currently feature in your shop I think at the last count that I uh, did, looking at my artist's uh, list and inventory, so to speak, we probably have at least 70, would you agree? Um, You know, there's over 500 recognized tribes, and we have artists from Alaska, Canada, northern Mexico, stretching across the United States. So there's always room for more, but at this point, probably about 70. Wow, that's a lot. How do you select your artists? Do they come to you with their... uh, pieces what's the selection process mostly um that is us initially knowing the artists from the backgrounds that we had and that's how we got started that was our foundation but after that we would go around throughout uh the native american art communities which typically are museums and galleries but now it's also on the internet and we would spot works or artists that we thought we want to try to find that artist and see if we can get in contact with them oftentimes we actually go to where they live to to do that sometimes you can do it through phone calls or writing letters um and and that's sure there's a lot of times you just don't connect with the artist you don't you can't get a hold of them or at a distance they don't have an interest but um, we've been pretty successful in expanding that way. And how fun it must be to travel to all these places, different reservations and just individuals. Yes? Yes, it's fun. It can be challenging. It can be quite the adventure. Um, many of these places might have marginal roads at best, and you need to be prepared to, uh, yeah, 
be ready for an adventure. And it is because that's an important way to meet the artists, go directly to where they live. And growing up as we have and traveling as we have, we're comfortable doing that. And I think the families in the community appreciate that effort. And oftentimes that's a wonderful way to meet meet artists and get involved even deeper in that family. One thing I saw your gallery actually does is um, give tours so you can go see where the artwork comes from. I was wondering if you still do that or how that works. If someone comes into the gallery and they're interested in um, going to the reservations, having some kind of a, uh, maybe I'll use the word connection with the artists or at least the culture, yeah, we can direct them to that and give them the knowledge that we have. um, Probably the things you do want to do and you don't want to do when you go there. Mm-hmm. So what are like the variety of art pieces that you feature in your shop? We have things based on traditional artworks such as and and methods, traditional and contemporary, everything from paintings, uh, weavings, of course, Navajo rugs, pottery, carvings, masks, uh, jewelry, of course. Uh, so it's been wonderful to to show people the objects of art that are coming through these communities. So I would say we carry a, a variety of types of art. So based on like what you're talking about of the adventuring to get to the places and the artists themselves, is there a particular piece that has a story that maybe resonates with you or that has stood out to you? I love the expressions. I bet there's a lot. There is. uh, One of the very first pieces that we we, we acquired was a Northwest Coast mask. And and the mask was one that, um, based upon the culture and what they consider to be taboo, was never supposed to be made. And And it depicted one of their deities that, can only be talked about but the mask was actually made in the late 1800s 1880s 1890s and the the who's considered the father of anthropology Franz Boas sought it out because he'd heard rumors that it had been made once and he found it and the mask was then um, acquired by Boas it's now in the American History Museum, I believe it is, in New York City, um, connected with Columbia University because that's where Franz Boas later went on and became a, a, a renowned professor. It was never made again, but in um, about 2014, it was made for a second time. Uh, the The artist just he saw the picture of it in a book, and he just did a knockout, outstanding job. Uh, on replicating that mask we happened to go visit him as we were trying to begin the gallery up on vancouver island and he had it on his wall we didn't know we we asked if we could purchase it we wanted it for our gallery um and what, what no one, Ben, he had put it on his wall when he first made it and said, I will never sell this mask. Well, it turned out he had some serious health issues. Didn't tell anyone. And he needed money. He didn't tell us that. So he's like, yeah, I'll sell it to you. Well, the good part of it is we got one of the most 
rarest pieces of Native American artwork that exists. On the other hand, he then immediately went off, took off, disappeared for a couple weeks, had surgery, and came back completely healed. So it worked out well for both of us, and now we've got an incredible... And the funny thing is, that's one of the few pieces that we still have in the gallery that we began with. That would be hard to part with a piece like that. <laughs> that's special, for sure. Well, you know, I'm curious. Um, are you familiar at all with the uh, Mardi Gras Indians? Do you know anything about the Mardi Gras Indians and the story behind that? Because they they make their feathers and beaded, and they don't call them costumes. They're attire. Right. Um, and they only make it once, and they only wear it once. But it's very elaborate. And the, 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 the lineup behind that was during Mardi Gras, African Americans were not allowed to be in Mardi Gras. And so what they did is they would portray themselves as Native Americans, and then they would um, pay back those people that had mistreated them. I, I'm, I'm a bit familiar with that. It's a fascinating story, but I, I'm glad you kind of bring up the point about not calling a regalia or a particular ceremonial attire. Um, it, it needs to be properly identified as it's not a costume. Uh, so that's I, I'd be interested in learning more about that part of Mardi Gras. And that's nice that you're reminding me that that right. is a tradition that they don't recreate, you know, that they don't kind of mass produce the same thing and we are back with Larita Chapman and Chris Morin owners of Raven Makes Gallery and I have just a question how did the experience of living on the Navajo Nation change your perspective on life and inspire you to the mission you currently have gosh that's a big question but I think oh we got hours all right so how did it change my life I think it very much immersed us in a community where you are accepted after a certain amount of of time. Um, once the um, members of the Navajo Nation, we were teachers, of course, knew that we were coming back. We became more and more welcome to ceremonies or to gatherings. And I think I always remember what a professor told me in a class I took that you don't learn about people, you learn from them. So the, the inspiration for the gallery and and just how to be able to appreciate the landscapes, the community, and the people and the families, uh, is it, it was wonderful to, to have that be a, a, a basis for starting something uh, like an art gallery where you're going to bring their culture to a wider audience. So the inspiration is part of the adventure of being able to uh, maintain that connection to the community. I was curious if you often have locals who come in not knowing much about Native American culture and it inspires them to learn more. That's been one of the biggest challenges uh, for having an indigenous Native American art gallery in, in Oregon is the, I'll just call it lack of awareness about the Native American peoples, uh, let alone the artwork. So for us, it's a lot of uh, awareness raising, educating. Of course, some people, when they walk into the gallery, they're just there to passive. 
few moments. Um, but, but some people come in and they'll kind of state right up front that I'd like to learn more. So that's what we need to do. Yeah, when I walked into your gallery, I got this big sense of hope because you hear about all this government oppression, taking land from the natives, and the fact that they're able to kind of survive having their language taken from them, all this. And then you walk into your gallery and you see a huge variety of artists and all this culture and artwork and how much has survived. Um, So what did you learn from working with the natives and what gave you hope working with them? I think what gave me hope and continues is that I know that we're providing uh, a place for some economic supports uh, for those communities by bringing out uh, what is often traditional and contemporary art forms that need to be out in the world. And artists aren't there to tell their story. And I find it hopeful whenever I talk to my families and I see the next generation coming along to continue you know, working in art form, which in turn will support that family economically, whether it's weaving, whether it's pottery. And I'm I'm grateful that through having this gallery and the experiences that we have, that we can shine a bit of a light on uh, w- what goes on in these communities and bring awareness to the challenges and to the continuation of ideas that, that are... are you know, need to be corrected in a sense. And you can do that in a way through art because art brings hope. Art art brings beauty back into uh, the picture. And it's never really been separate from some of these communities, but it needs to be taken in a broader context. And that's where people, I think, when they walk into the gallery, they either think they're in a museum or they feel like they've entered a space that, is hopeful and shows the possibilities of how art continues to bring out the best, you know, it response from the, the person walking in, but also brings out the best in what that community has to offer. One thing that's really special that your gallery does is buy the pieces outright from the artists before you sell them. So why is this so important for the artists that you work with? In the Native American communities, Artists have a different place in the overall economics uh, uh, of the people uh, uh, in in our Western society, in the United States general society. The amount of economic impact that art has, it, uh, quite honestly, isn't that great. But in their communities, where unemployment on some reservations can run as high as seventy percent, the artists m- can make a real difference. Not only for their family, but for an extended family or for other members in the community. So they, given their situation, they need the money up front. And and we're willing to do that. And, you know, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Building on what you were saying, Loretta, and also Chris, um, Native cultures are very spiritual and they're very connected to the land and it sounds like their their artwork comes through their pieces that they create. And how how do you take your new awareness and then present it to the community? And why do you think, this is kind of a long question too, 
why does the U.S. citizen, why are U.S. citizens losing what I would consider losing their connection with awareness and their support of nature? Oh, yeah. Take that one on. Gosh, that's, that's a, a tough big one, one too. Yeah, so yeah. I think when I think of Native American art in particular, it's it's very evident that there's balance there is use of traditional materials, there's a sense of harmony, there's a sense of beauty. And that is important to the artist to, to imbue in their art. And then that is appreciated by the person or the collector that acquires it. So that being said, I think we have to always approach the idea of representing their art, we do because we're not Native American, with, with immense respect. For the landscape, for the for the religious and ceremonial traditions that may be behind a particular piece, and and that piece appropriately comes into the art market. We don't sell things that are used for ceremony. We're very respectful and 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 follow the the idea that we want that piece to be appreciated for its beauty, but also reflect the challenges of the landscape, of the people behind it, and hopefully, what else could you add to that? I I know Chris can add more to that idea of that connection to the land and the people where these pieces come from. And you're going to do it in about 45 seconds. Okay. Along with telling us where you're located. Uh, I'll just say that we have works in the gallery that are made by medicine men and medicine women. But they don't want that known because they don't want that as a selling point. We agree. We're, we're very much in agreement with them. Um, we just are mute about that. You know, a person might buy uh, a, a, a very respected piece by a very respected medicine person, but it just needs to go out there um, like any other work. Uh, so, and that's it with regard to the idea of things being ceremonial. Um, it's not necessarily a ceremonial piece, but some people might consider it a more sacred piece. And quickly, our location, we're located in Sisters, Oregon on Hood Avenue. Well, that's about it for the Wednesday Point. Our Point theme song is Zigaboogaloo by Nicholas Painted. Our guest intro song was All Nation Drives by Lila June. Thanks to Pearl Stark for Pearl's Puzzle. Thank you, Larita and Chris, for your time this morning and for all you do for the indigenous community. Thanks for listening to this KPOV podcast. KPOV is community radio for the high desert of Central Oregon. For more information and for our program schedule, go to kpov.org. We value your feedback. Drop us a note at podcast at kpov.org.